0: Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. All right. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. So just whilst I'm getting set up, has anyone made any New year's resolutions yet this year? And maybe for a moment of real honesty, has anyone broken any New Year's resolutions yet this year? So uh, my own personal experience with resolutions is that they never seem to last long. Usually I'll make some sort of resolution along being healthier, eating better, and usually I'll end up in either McDonald's or Nugolato on New Year's Day and sometimes even both. But I have written a few New Year's resolutions this year. For the the Shaws and the Sturts, a resolution to be at church for 11 rather than 11.15. (laughs) For, for Joe Craig, a resolution to actually stay awake during the messages. <laughs> and for myself, a resolution not to make Dylan the target of every joke whenever I'm sharing. I think I can get away with generic jokes about church keyboard players, though. That's a loophole, right? So, in and of ourselves, we can only do so much with a resolution. There's no special power in the first of January to make life change happen. New Year's resolutions really depend on our own willpower. And if there's one thing I know, it's that the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. All of us, we have a weakness in the flesh. We do not do the good that we want, but we do the evil that we don't want to do. As the saying goes, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and in fact, I looked up the original English translation of that, and originally it was, the road to hell is paved with good resolutions. So I'm not going to spend this morning talking about resolutions that we could make and just end up breaking in a few days. But this morning, if you are wondering what to make as a New Year's resolution, I would like to point you to the church values that we've now got up on the wall and suggest that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we could maybe as a church commit to trying to to live out those values even more in 2023. If you were here before Christmas, we spent a few weeks looking at some of the values and we're gonna continue and look at another one this morning for just a few minutes. Okay, well, maybe a bit more than a few minutes. Last week's 30 minute service was just a one-off Christmas treat. (laughs) So this morning, we're going to look at how we have a responsibility to her down, looking at the value, our city is our responsibility. And the idea, hopefully, will be that you'll see that this responsibility isn't just a responsibility for a Sunday morning, but it should shape and inspire every aspect of our day-to-day life. So as we begin, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the, the opportunity to come before you at the start of a new year to commit to you and to commit to living out the truths that we find in your word, May these thoughts come from you. May they not be my own ideas, but Holy Spirit, would you inspire and infuse everything that gets shared this morning? And above all, would you help us to actually live out this message? Amen. So the role of our church values is to to give us a framework to help us live out our faith. A helpful way of thinking about it is to consider if I asked my daughter Ada to tidy up her toys and then went out of the room for a few moments and then came back into the room, and rather than the toys being tidied, they were still scattered everywhere. But she'd written down that instruction, tidy your toys. She's a very advanced two and a half year old. (laughs) She'd not only written it down, but she'd highlighted it and made notes about the style of grammar that I'd used and tried to do a deep dive cross-reference with other instructions that I'd given her to try and determine what I really meant. She would have studied my words, but she hadn't acted on them. And often, that's what we can do with the Bible. We study it rather than actually living it out. But our church values are intended to help us steer back towards actually living out our faith. So maybe this year, rather than resolving to study the Bible more, we could resolve to live the Bible more. And so with that in mind, let's dive into the scripture to see how we can live out this value of our city being our responsibility. So to anchor it, I want to start with the example given to us by Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. "'O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing.'" So Jerusalem was the city where Jesus did the majority of his ministry on earth. He spent time traveling through the various local towns and cities and villages, but the big life events in the final months and weeks of his life, they all happened in and around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a special city for the people of Israel. It was their capital, given to them by God, and Jesus had a particular burden for the city. Though its people mistreated him and ultimately would cry out for his crucifixion, Jesus had compassion for the city. He took responsibility for it. His love for Jerusalem wasn't based on anything the people of Jerusalem had done for him. It wasn't based on anything they'd done to deserve it. And we need to follow that example from Jesus and take responsibility for our own city, for Portadowne. We need to have the mindset of wanting to gather the people of Portadown under our wings like a hen. Because when we grasp that mindset, everything changes. We'll no longer be able to just sit back and do nothing about the needs that surround us. Whenever we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the same compassion Jesus had for his city, it's going to stir us into all sorts of action. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before that, let me tell you a story about whenever Sheriff and I got married. I was living in Ballandary and she was living in Portadown. So whenever we were planning to get married and looking for somewhere to live, I figured we should probably find somewhere sort of in the middle. And in fact, to to skew things a little bit in my favour, I moved to Belfast for a year before proposing, just to try and help tip the scales. And we ended up getting a house in Portadown, which didn't really seem like a fair halfway point to me, but I've been here ever since and have come to make Portadown my home don't know about you, but whenever I go on holidays, I like to find out all the, the interesting history and facts and find museums to go to. And every time that there's a, a tourist information sign, I'll stop and read it, much to cherish frustration. And it got me thinking, if Porter Down's now my home, well, then I should probably take that same approach to Porter Down. So I did a bit of research. Well, okay, I went on Wikipedia and found out some interesting history facts about Porter Down. So, Portadown has a population of about 22,000. It originated in the 17th century and became a major town with the construction of a railway line in the 19th century. It was originally a fort of the Macans, and the name Portadown comes from the Irish Portadunan, meaning port of the small fort. In 1641, the Portadown massacre occurred when Irish rebels forced about 100 English and Scottish settlers off the Bann Bridge, and they were either drowned or shot and that's actually the bridge that if you just go to the, to the left out of church to town, it's the bridge that you'll cross over. I think and hope that they've replaced it with a more modern structure since then. During World War II, there was a prisoner of war camp in Princess Way, and did you know that where St. Mark's Church of Ireland now stands at the top of the town, that's where they used to do the public executions? Told you it was interesting history, didn't say it was positive. <laughs> But what we saw in that anchor verse was how Jesus took responsibility for the city of J- Jerusalem. And Porter Down is where God's placed us, so we have to take responsibility for our city too. But there's this tension that, when it comes to the Christian life that sometimes people can get so caught up in head knowledge and they totally neglect to actually live out their faith. You probably know some Christians who are so preoccupied on heaven and so focused on end-time theology that they've no time to actually make a difference to the world around them. Christians who just spend all their time reading books or going to meetings and trying to avoid any contact with people that aren't ultra-clean living. But God instructs us not to fall into that trap, but to be committed to and invested in the city around us so that we can make an impact as ambassadors for Jesus. You see, we've been saved in order to make a difference in our city, to bring the kingdom on earth as in heaven, and to point people to the love of Jesus. You see, the church isn't meant to be a cruise ship for the healthy, but it's meant to be a lifeboat going out to rescue those who are drowning. We can't take the attitude that we've got our ticket to heaven, so we're sorted. There's too many people in Port all around us who are facing eternal separation from God for us to sit back. There's issues all around us. We're not blind to that fact. We know Port isn't perfect. But the good news for for Port is that God has placed us here to do something about those issues. So looking at them, why our city is our responsibility... Why can't we just have that nice little holy retreat here from the world and hang out here for a couple of hours on a Sunday? We've already seen how Jesus felt compassion for the city he was in. But obviously, Jerusalem was a special city. It was God's chosen city. It's understandable that Jesus felt a responsibility for Jerusalem. But what about our city? What about Portadown? Does it matter to God? Are we on his radar? There's a great story I like in the Old Testament about a guy called Jonah. He's one of the minor prophets It's one of those short books that's a nightmare to find if you're still using a paper Bible rather than the app. But what happens in Jonah is, basically, he's a man from a town, Zebulun, in Israel, and God called him to go and preach a message to the people of the city of Nineveh, calling them to repent and turn and trust trust in God, otherwise God was going to send destruction on their city. Now, Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. It wasn't part of Israel. It wasn't part of God's chosen land. It was a city that was actually known for being filled with wickedness. And Jonah, he seems to have real trouble reading timetables because he went to get to the port to get on a boat and he somehow ended up on one that was sailing to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is the complete opposite direction to Nineveh. <clears throat> it was in what's now southwestern Spain. And in fact, to get to Nineveh, Jonah wouldn't even have needed to get on a boat in the first place. He could have just walked over land. It would be the equivalent of Sheriff asking me to drive her to the new Primark in Rushmere for some New Year's seals and me accidentally ending up on a, a flight to the Costa del Sol. So you might be familiar with how things go for Jonah. There's a huge storm. The sailors on the boat throw him overboard because he confesses to them that God may be slightly upset with him for running the opposite direction. And then God sends a big fish to swallow him before he gets a second chance then to go to Nineveh and deliver the message that God had given him. So second time around, Jonah does make it to Nineveh. He delivers that message from God. He calls the people to repent and there's this incredible response. The people, they hear the call to repent and they act on it in their thousands. They believe in the word of God. They start to fast. They put on sackcloth. News travels through all the people and from the the lowest to the highest, from the least to even the king, Everyone responds to that message from God. For a minor prophet, Jonah has had a major impact. And you might think that Jonah would be pretty pleased with that. Thousands of people have put their trust in God because of his work and ministry. And yet in Jonah 4, we see that that wasn't the case. You see, there was a reason Jonah was so unwilling to go to Nineveh in the first place. It had that reputation for wickedness. And Jonah didn't think the people there were deserving of the love of God. He didn't actually want to see them get saved. And maybe that can be an issue for us today too. We might not be as open about it as Jonah, but maybe deep down there's people that you've written off, people who you don't think could ever put their trust in Jesus, or worse, people who you don't want to put their trust in Jesus, because that means that we'll be spending eternity with them in heaven. If that person's sitting beside you today, don't nudge them and let them know. But God still has compassion and love for them, so we must not say no for them. We must be willing to put aside our preferences and reach out with the message of Jesus to all the people in our city. You see, what we see in Jonah chapter four <clears throat> is that Jonah goes to a nearby hill, in the hope that the people responding positively to God's call, in the hope that despite the people responding positively to God's call, God will still send destruction. He's hoping that God will still send down fire and destruction on the city. You can almost imagine Jonah sitting there on the hill with a bowl of popcorn waiting for the explosions to begin. But because the people of Nineveh have repented, God has mercy, and that displeases Jonah and makes him angry. As Jonah's sitting on that hill, the sun shines down on him, and so God lets a plant grow to give him some shade and shelter. But overnight then, God sends a worm to attack the plant, causing it to wither, so that Jonah again experiences the heat of the sun. So let's pick up what happened in Jonah 4, verses 8 to 11. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So what this story shows us is the burden that God has for cities right across the world. God cared for Nineveh, even though it wasn't part of the land of Israel. And it shows us why God cares for the city. Because in the city are people who don't yet know him, who aren't following his ways, who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus as their savior. The reason God cares for cities isn't because of their architecture or their fancy shopping malls or their sports teams. The reason God cares for cities is because of the people in them. And that's why we have our city as our responsibility because of the people here all around us in Port Adown who don't yet know God and haven't yet found the freedom we have in Jesus. Port is our responsibility because we've been placed here to help people discover the purpose that God has for their life and to help them start making a difference in the world around them. See, Jonah hadn't grasped that the love of God was for everyone in the whole world, no exclusions. And maybe as we start a new year, that's a challenge that we need to be reminded of the fact that God's love is for all. There's no one in Porter Down who's off limits. So maybe today we could ask God who he wants us to take the message of the gospel to this year, to ask God to show us who we've been overlooking here on our own doorstep, and to ask the Holy Spirit to give us that boldness to not write them off, but to share an invite, to even encourage and ask them to come along to Alpha in a few weeks. So now that we've looked at the why, I want to move on to consider... How we actually care for our city i'm going to look at jeremiah 29 to guide us in that not that one verse that everyone can quote and that you've probably come across if you've ever looked at any christian girls instagram from jeremiah 29:11. for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a hope and a future <laughs> now that is our desire for our city that god would give portadown a hope and a future And if we believe that our city is our responsibility, we need to actually then look at the context of that verse. Because if you break a text away from its context, you're left with just a calm. So let's rewind a few verses and see what Jeremiah has to teach us. Firstly, in order to set the scene, this was a letter that the prophet Jeremiah was writing to the people of Israel after they'd been taken into captivity in Babylon because of their sin and rebellion. The letter was to encourage the people that though God was displeased with what they'd done, and was correcting them by letting them be taken into captivity for a period of time he hadn't forsaken or forgotten them god never abandons us even when circumstances look bleak god still cares for us he still has plans for us and still loves us with an unfailing love it was the people in exile who were being promised that hope and future <clears throat> and that's still true today maybe that's you this morning maybe 2022 was a tough year Maybe various life circumstances got in the way of your relationship with God and have left you feeling distant and far off today. Perhaps there's burdens you're carrying or heartaches, disrupted plans, grief or loss. Maybe you feel like you've been exiled or overlooked by God, and I want you to know that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nothing else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, so no matter what 2022 looked like, I want you to be reminded today that God still loves you and still desires to give you a, a hope and a future in 2023. So keep that trust in Him. So let's read now from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent from, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, obviously, we're not in Babylon, we're in Port Adown, but there's a lot of transferable lessons. The way we care for Port Adown, the way we make our city our responsibility, is to seek the welfare of the city where God has placed us. And we see that we're called to build houses, to plant gardens, to grow food, and to get married. In other words, we're to be in it for the long haul, and to be committed to where we are now. <clears throat> and can I get, just give a shout out to Dylan for giving us a great example this week of living that out? Like me, Dylan isn't a Porter Down local, but he's been coming here pretty much every week since we launched, and now he's not only got engaged to a Porter Down resident, but he's actually in the process of building a house to live in here. Well, I think he's paying someone to do the actual building for him, but he's close, he's, he's working on it. And maybe for some of you this year, your next step will be to, to get married or at least to make plans to get married, to think long-term commitment rather than casual no-strings dating. Maybe that's a prophetic word for some guys here who need to get down on one knee this year. Maybe for some of us, what we need to do is we need to commit to actually being all in in Portadown, to not be passive, but to be actively invested in the welfare of our city. And we also see in this passage that we need to pray for our city. <coughs> it can be easy to complain and grumble about all the issues going on around us. But really, whenever we grumble, that just goes into a void. But whenever we pray, our requests for the welfare of Portadown are heard by God who's able to change everything. And as a church, we're about to start a season of prayer and fasting. So what I really want to encourage you to, as we pray and fast is to, to get serious about seeking the welfare of our city, to, to get specific, to pray for your, your street or for your cul-de-sac, for your development, for wherever it is in whatever part of Porter Down or the surrounding area that you live in. See, whenever we pray and fast, it's about freeing up space to pray. It's about sacrificing a meal or some form of pleasure in order to Carve out that time to be with God. And it's important to remember that whenever we fast, it's meant to be something that's a sacrifice to give up. You can't say that you're fasting from doing the dishes or washing your clothes, unless that's something you find pleasure from, and in which case our prayer ministry team is available at the end. But I want to encourage you to, to really focus on pressing in, on not missing the opportunity of this three weeks of prayer and fasting. to to grasp it and to to seek the welfare of our city during it. And then moving on to look at a few specific responsibilities we have for our city. We have a responsibility to to take ownership of this city, of the Porter Down and Craig area. We have a responsibility to carry out the instruction that God gave Adam in Genesis 1 to fill the earth and subdue it. We can't let culture dictate to us how to live, but as followers of the creator God, we should be at the forefront of creating and shaping culture. We have a responsibility to, to use the platforms that we have, be it in our family or in our workplace, in our schools, to step up and to be a blessing, not a burden, to be countercultural. To, to bring hope and not despair. We've also got a responsibility to be planted and rooted in this city, to be authentically ported down, because every city is unique, with its own character and its own distinct set of issues and problems. What works in one city isn't necessarily going to work in another. We can't just be a a cookie-cutter Christian. We have to be uniquely planted in our local area. We have to be aware of the vibe and the slang, the the various culture issues going on around us. Whenever Jesus talked to crowds, he used farming parables because that's what the people around him knew. Whenever Paul wrote to some of the, the other cities where he planted churches, he quoted poets and philosophers because... That's what they were into. To be able to reach people, we need to be able to relate to them where they're at. In order to invite people to church, we actually need to know them. And that may mean doing things that don't seem overly spiritual. It may mean spending time in the community, joining a local walking group or a sports club, doing something intentional to spend time in maybe the same cafe on a regular basis, getting to know the staff so that you can invite them to Alpha. If someone has to drink flat whites and eat cake for the sake of the gospel, That's a cross I'll bear, after the fast, obviously. (laughs) We also have a responsibility to be agents of change, bringing the kingdom on earth as in heaven, in Killikamean as in heaven, Eden Derry, as in heaven, Ballyhannon as in heaven. We have a responsibility to model out the compassion of Jesus in our city, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, clothing the naked, visiting the lonely, not writing off people who are currently bound in despair and depression, but praying to the Lord on their behalf and being willing to be practical and do something about the needs around us. Over the Christmas period, we got a great example of that from the Compassion Team. And as William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, put it, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering step, like the legs of men walking, first faith, then works, then faith again, and then works again, until you can scarcely distinguish which is one and which is the other. We need to pray for Portadown and we need to be practical and do something about the issues that the Holy Spirit highlights to us as we pray. It can't be just prayer and it can't be just action. Portadown needs both from us. We also have a responsibility to the roughly 70,000 people in the the greater Craigavon area that don't know Jesus. You see, we've been charged with making disciples of every nation, of Kernan, of Pecumbra, of Garvaki, and to the ends of the earth. In Ezekiel 33, God tells the prophet Ezekiel that he is to be a watchman responsible for the people of Israel. He has a responsibility to speak to the wicked and to warn them to turn from their evil ways and put their trust back in God. If Ezekiel warns them and they ignore him, then that's on their head. But if Ezekiel neglects his responsibility and doesn't warn them, then God tells Ezekiel that he's going to hold Ezekiel responsible. And that's the responsibility that we have for Portadown, to tell them that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them, taking the punishment we deserved. that in order to bring to us the offer of reconciliation and a new relationship with him, to tell people that no matter what's in their past, God has plans to give them hope and a future. You see, Portadown, it's our responsibility. We can't expect someone else to do it. We can't sit back and hope that God's gonna send another Jonah or another Ezekiel. God's already sent us. He's placed us here to take responsibility for our city. So as I give those of you who haven't heard too many sermons before hope by asking Kate to come back up and start playing for the last point, what really struck me when I thought about our city being our responsibility is the fact that, like the Israelites in Babylon, we too are exiles. You see, whenever we put our faith in Jesus, we gain adoption as sons and daughters of God, and with that, we gain a citizenship in heaven. This earth ultimately is not our home because our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews 13, verse 14 reminds us here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So we can identify with the Israelites about being exiles because Portadown isn't our true home. And so we can learn from how God instructs us to live as exiles. <clears throat> Heavenly exiles are the best citizens for earthly cities because we walk in the footsteps of the one who gave his life in love for his enemies. In our city, there are issues. Life will let us down, but we have the promise of a new city, where every tear will be wiped away, and God's going to dwell with us. If you were doing the, the Daily Bread Bible readings that we went through as a church last year, then just a couple of days ago, you'll have read Revelation 21, And just for the benefit of anyone who accidentally fell a couple of days behind and may still be somewhere in 1 Corinthians, let me read Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them and they will be with his people and god will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away you see that's the promise that we have whenever we place our trust in jesus there's a new heavenly city coming a kingdom that can't be shaken a city where we'll dwell with god forever a city where every tear is wiped away. I don't know what you've experienced over the past year. I don't know what burdens and challenges you're carrying into 2023 with you. But I do know that we can stand firm on that promise from God that there will be a day when sickness is no more. There'll be a day when pain is no more, when heartbreak is no more. There'll be a day when suffering is no more. There's coming a day when every sad thing is going to come untrue for those who've put their faith in Jesus. That's the day that we're looking to. We don't get the hope from the potential of a new year, but in the promise of a new city. And yet there's that tension that I mentioned at the start, that we must not be so preoccupied with the city that is to come that we neglect the city we're in now. We have the hope of the city to come, but we live in the reality of the now, but not yet of the kingdom of God. We're citizens of the new city now, but we're not yet living in it. You see, I mentioned at the start, how Jesus had that burden for the city of Jerusalem. And what struck me was that Jesus died on a hill outside the city so that the gate would be open for all of us to enter the eternal city. Jesus went to the hill of Calvary on the outskirts of Jerusalem. As he died there on the cross, he made a way for us to be restored into a relationship with God the Father. He made a way for us to become citizens of the eternal city that is to come. But the way wasn't just made for those of us in the room or watching online. The way was made for anyone who would trust in Jesus. For all who would respond to that offer of a new beginning, not the new beginning that comes from the start of a new year, but the eternal new beginning that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. You see, our role in the city we now are in is not to sit back and wait the heavenly city, but to be ambassadors of Jesus. Our true citizenship may be in the heavenly city, but we've been placed and boarded down with a purpose to represent Jesus and to invite people around us to put their faith in him too. You see, an ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a state as its permanent representative in a foreign country. An ambassador doesn't get to decide on the message. Their job is to deliver it accurately. Our message is the fact that though we were dead in sin, God made a way of salvation by sending Jesus for us. You may not feel it, but if you're a Christian, God sees you as his ambassador in Port or in whatever town or city you live in. And that's an amazing responsibility for us. There's many things that we can do to seek the welfare of Port But above all, the main way we can do it is by pointing the people of Port to Jesus. You see, we believe that Port has been entrusted to us by God. We take the brokenness of Port personally. God has placed us strategically in this city to make it better and brighter. We have a conviction that if it's our city, it's our responsibility. Portadown doesn't exist for the church. Our it exists for Portadown. We don't want to be a church that's just in Portadown. We want to be a church that's for Portadown because we love our city and we have our city as our responsibility. So, as we bring things to a close, let's be reminded that whatever way you serve in church, like Ezekiel, we serve as watchmen and watchwomen. No matter what you do to serve, it's of great significance and it can't be taken lightly. Whether you're up on stage or holding a door or anything in between, you're doing something to help create a space for people to come to know God and find freedom in Portadown. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're not on a team. And maybe for you, the next step this year is to start exploring, to see how you could serve. But even if you're not on team and not serving, even something as simple as sharing an invitation or sharing the live stream on Facebook is still a significant thing that you can do to seek the welfare of our city. As Paul reminds us in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see, ultimately, that's our responsibility to it down, to be sent out to tell of what God has done for us. You don't have to be a great evangelist. You just have to share your own personal story of your encounters with Jesus of how he's brought you from death to life. You see, we gather here on a Sunday, not to retreat from the world, but to be filled up and equipped to be sent out to make a difference over the rest of the week. And we always have to keep that outward focus. We gather to worship, to be transformed by the word, and then we scatter. We go out and make a difference in Port O'Downe. You see, ultimately Port O'Downe isn't going to be transformed by our eight putting on an event or a special gathering. But by the people of our eight going out as scoured servants, each living out their faith in small streets and workplaces and in schools and offices across Portadown. You see, we acknowledge that Port has issues, but we remember we have a responsibility to seek its welfare. We remember that the biggest issue Portadown faces isn't the cost of living crisis or the backlogged hospital, but separation from God. For the sake of Porter Down, for the sake of the family and friends that we have here who don't yet know Jesus, we have to keep Jesus as our story. We have to make people our priority. We have to have passion as our response. We have to commit to unity being our pursuit. We have to remember that honor is our posture. We must never neglect to have excellence as our standard and we must daily keep joy as our choice. We've got to live lives where we remember that generosity is our privilege. And we've got to remember serving as our calling and see our city as our responsibility. Those are the values that mark out who we are as a church. And whenever we live out those values outside the walls of this building in 2023, then Porter Down's going to take notice and we'll have opportunities to point them to Jesus. And that ultimately is why we do all that we do. I started by talking about how it's the start of a new year today. And I want to remind you that there's the opportunity today of a, a better new start than the one that comes with getting a new calendar to hang on the wall the good news that we're promised through the message of jesus is that anyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved and maybe today that's you and you need to call on jesus maybe today's time for you to find the hope that god promises to exiles and all who are far off perhaps the events of 2022 left you feeling rocked and unsteady maybe today you need to place your hope in the kingdom that's never going to be shaken Maybe today you need to walk through those gates that Jesus opened and become a citizen of the eternal city. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Orient Church Podcast.